guys, we are here living the authentic life and I'm really shaken about something really real that uh, happened in our community this week. Uh, we lost a dear friend to suicide and we are all grieving. It starts with shock for most people and then anger and frustration and questions and I've been looking at so many different things online and I thought people are searching for answers. People want to know. And we are working with the Santa Maria Hostel on um, an event on November 8th. And you guys have such a wraparound care service for women who are in trauma, who have gone through trauma, who may be considering suicide. And I reached out to Vaughn Gilmore. She sounds like a movie star name, <laughs> but she's actually, um, what is your title? The chief clinical officer. Yes. And your history with people who are experiencing um, really hard things. You've talked about suicide. You've talked about um, overcoming different types of abuse. And um, you're here today to share with us. So, so thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me so much and what basically when i said where do we start how do we and you said we take away the stigma mm -hmm. so there is a stigma like when i was young we didn't even talk about it but there's so much research that says if we talk about it we can heal mm -hmm. so why yeah. don't you share yeah i mean i think it's really important for people to know actually unfortunately how common suicide and death by suicide can be. It's actually the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. And for young people, the leading cause of death, I mean, the second leading cause of death. I'm sorry, I wanna make sure I yes. say that right, uh, for teenagers. So um, even though it's not something we talk about a lot, it actually is something we should be talking about more so that people who may be thinking about suicide or people who have lost someone to suicide don't feel so alone, right? That we can really have these difficult conversations. And I guess the first thing I thought, and I've heard so many people that were, and I was not in her circle with her. We were, were friends. And, but how did we not know? How do we miss it? We, we internalize it. Let's talk a little bit about that and about, you say there's a difference between a warning mm -hmm. and a risk factor help us to kind of process that and how we look at our responsibility in yeah, all of this. Absolutely. I mean, so, and I'm going to reference my notes a little bit because I want to make sure we I know. get all I have lots correct. more notes I'm going to reference okay. today than normal. And we, we can also share some, <clears throat> some links and things like that as absolutely. well, some resources. Um, but when we talk about risk factors for suicide, uh, or death by suicide, we mm -hmm. often think of things like depression, right? Um, maybe people who have had trauma, maybe people who have drug and alcohol use, um, but also people with uh, maybe chronic physical pain issues that have not been resolved, like they haven't been able to get any relief from their pain. Um, people that might have recently had significant financial loss. Um, or sort of crises related to their financial situation. It's often these situations um, that maybe where people feel really stuck and trapped. They might've been suffering with something for a long time. So those are things that might make us more at risk for thinking about suicide or attempting suicide. Um, 
but it's actually the warning signs that we can look for in our loved ones, the people in our lives, um, where we really wanna make sure we're intervening quickly. Um, so that might be when people start um, really isolating and withdrawing, when people might give away some of their belongings, when they're really talking about feeling trapped. Um, we might sort of see those as some of the red flags, like I really need to ask this person. And so one of the recommendations is, whether it's risk factors or warning signs, we want to directly talk about it, which I know seems a little bit scary. We talked about this yesterday. Yes. Sometimes it can be sort of like, well, what if I ask about suicide? Is that going to make the person think of it? Right. The answer is no. Mm -hmm. um, if somebody is already thinking about suicide and that feels like an option for them, asking about it is not going to make things worse. It's not going to give them the idea. It's actually going to create an opportunity. Uh, so what that can look like is, hey, I've been noticing, um, you know, that, that maybe you're not yourself lately. And I'm just wondering if you want to talk. I'm here. Um, I'm wondering if you're having any thoughts of suicide or if you've ever thought about suicide. Wow. And then when someone says, yes, I actually have been, mm -hmm. and then you feel like, oh my gosh, do I have the tools to manage this? What would be the next step? Sure. I mean, that's amazing if they're willing to talk to you about it, right? Yes. Um, it tells you maybe one, the closeness of that relationship or two, like how isolated they've been feeling, right? Because, you know, we started off talking about the shame and kind of the stigma that go along with this. Often people don't ask, right? So there's not an opportunity to have those conversations. Um, so if you know someone that is thinking about suicide, that's really the time to reach out for professional help if you mm -hmm. already don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if there are professionals, um, psychiatrists, other physicians, therapists, mental health providers, already involved with that individual or the family, the first thing would be reaching out to them. Um, the second thing would be if someone's thinking about suicide, don't leave them alone, right? Um, in that moment, um, looking at how do we remove access, right, to lethal means within the home. Um, and then uh, using some of the resources. So there is a um, crisis line. There's a, a number of crisis lines that hopefully we can maybe share Yes. Um, in the text uh, for this. Um, but there's also the suicide hotline 988 um, now can be called the same way you would call 911. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So um, for the, the survivors, mm -hmm. there's also a lot of trauma and we're, we're wanting to connect and help them, but maybe not finding the words. So I'd really love help mm. because you don't want it to seem fake or unfounded. Mm -hmm. um, like I keep telling people, I wasn't really close to her, but I'm still suffering. But I, I loved her and I cared about her. And it's just hard. Talk about that because you don't want to insult the the person grieving to suggest your grief was equal to theirs mm -hmm. or what you're going through or ask them even mm -hmm. to console you. I've seen that happen too mm -hmm. when there's loss. You're going to the person, oh, you wouldn't believe how upset I am too. Let's kind of talk through some yeah. of the do's and don'ts if we can say that of communicating in a helpful way. Yeah. You know, I think this goes back to the issue of stigma, right? Because when, um, 
you know, we know someone that dies by other tragic means, right? We reach out immediately, right? Um, we offer support, right? We are not sort of hesitant, yeah, yes. right? Um, you know, so when someone dies by suicide, we, I would think about those same things. Like, what would you do for any other kind of tragic wow, loss? That's so helpful. Yeah. And not making it about ourselves, definitely. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Well, in fact, I even have um, a quote. Um, we've met each other through working together with Houston 20. And our friend that passed, was that was her, pe mm. her passion project, was helping people mm. who were victims of abuse, domestic violence, and then, of course, trafficking. And um, so Laura's niece um shared some things about her father taking his life and she said after my dad died i would say things like i want to die my dad died i'm never going to feel better mm -hmm. i i just hurt so bad i want to die and she said i was 10 and my dad had picked me up that night wanted to pick me up but instead i went with my brothers and my mom and people then would say can I do something? And I'd say, no, I want to be alone. But then she said she didn't really want to mm -hmm. be alone. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about yeah. like even staying connected with our own emotions. It's hard to know what we mm -hmm. really want or need. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I sort of was saying, treat it like another tragic loss, but at the same time, it is much more complicated than that, right? Because for someone that has a family member that dies by suicide, there is so much complicated guilt, so many questions that they're left with, right? Yes. Um, and I think that's what, what Laura's talking about there, right? Is like, yes. what if I had been with him that day, right? Right, um, it, right? It, it is much more complicated. Um, and so there are specific support groups out there for survivors of suicide, for mm -hmm. family members and loved ones. And so I would highly recommend resources like that um, where people can connect with other family members that have lost a loved one to suicide mm -hmm. um, because it is really isolating for them as well. And then uh, I was speaking with Daria who works with us and um, she lost her son to suicide. And she said what she finds important is just letting other people know that they matter and that we, that their life matters mm -hmm. and that we care about them. And she said recently she's shared with people we know through business who've broke down and cried when she just says that mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of go back with the loss of our friend and we think, should I have said that more? What could I have done? Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about this reflection and this journey that we go on, like, and how we can process that mm -hmm. for as a community? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that really is how complicated grief is, right? Um, you know, me, many people may be familiar with sort of the like cycle of grief, right? But really, mm -hmm. what you're talking about, it's not just the sadness of this loss and the shock that comes with the loss but also a lot of the questioning, a lot of the guilt, like, um, and then eventually thinking about how can we hopefully reduce some of the isolation and the shame and the stigma uh, that make these things hard to talk about, right? Um, so what she's talking about, like asking someone um, or, or creating that connection, right? Yes. Um, connection helps 
like buffer against things like depression, um, addiction, right? It helps people recover from those kinds of illnesses. So um, it can be very helpful to look for connection in this type of pain. And then how can we connect if the people grieving say they don't want to be mm -hmm. with someone? There's such a fine line yeah. between being there and imposing. Mm -hmm. how do, what does that look like? Uh, it's a great question. Really, you're thinking about how do I not make it about myself, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. How do I reach out and let them know I'm here? Uh, so again, just like with any other kind of, of loss, that can be a card, right? A note, a letter, right? Any of these things to say, I'm here when you're ready. Um, sending, you know, meals, like any of the kinds of ways, again, that you would support somebody that had had another tragic experience are totally appropriate in this situation. And what I've found that people have said is helpful is I'm part of a Bible study group. Mm -hmm. So we share inspiration. And when I find things that I mm -hmm. think would be inspirational for someone that's had a loss or going through something hard, I share with them. But it doesn't have to be a Bible study. Mm -hmm. It can just be words of support or something. But I think that does make a difference mm -hmm. and it goes really far with yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and tell us a little bit about, I mean, people would say, what was she thinking at that moment? And you talked about there are some neurological things mm -hmm. in the brain that happens. Um, so. I mean, not knowing that we can go back, mm -hmm. but let's talk a little bit about like what physically happens in the body with depression, because I've also, I have um, been on medication mm -hmm. for a number of years for anxiety and I have close family members and people that I care about that have suffered from depression, even written about suicide. Mm -hmm. We have, and um, other people have said, well, you're, choosing you can choose to not be depressed and that's really insulting yeah. to someone who's chemically struggling mm -hmm. that they're not doing enough work to overcome it so let's talk a little bit about depression or anxiety mm -hmm. and and it, what that does to the brain yeah absolutely so you know any kind of mental illness whether it's depression anxiety bipolar disorder uh, drug and alcohol use disorders, those really are reflective of a neurobiological process happening in the brain. Um, and, and most of those things are treatable with medications, with psychotherapy, um, but they're not a choice, right? No one chooses to be depressed. No one chooses to have an alcohol use disorder, right? Um, no. You know, so we really think about helping people and family members also understand, right, the disease part of that. This is a neurobiological disease. Um, and that can maybe take some of the stigma out of it, but the way we even talk about depression or bipolar disorder can make people who might be suffering with those things feel even more isolated, right? And not want to talk about them, not want to come forward um, and feel more hopeless and alone. So it's really important that people do understand none of this was a choice, right? Oftentimes for people that might be considering suicide, those symptoms of their physical pain, their emotional pain have become so unbearable, right? Um, so isolating, um, so chronic, so painful that they feel like there's no other way out, right? We know, 
um, that there is, but because of those changes in their brain, they feel like there is no other way out. Um, it feels like the option, right, um, to end their pain. And it is so hard when we experience trauma, we make choices that cover up our pain. And sometimes the choices we make to cover up our pain are hurtful to other people. Mm -hmm. So as family members, we might want to say, I don't feel comfortable being around you when you're doing this. And then we mm -hmm. have this, it's such a fine boundary between them coping and how all of that effect has on all of us and how we respond to things. Like if a, if a friend is drunk, if a friend is acting out, screaming, causing mm. fights because of the pain, um, we have to create safe boundaries for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it's such a fine line between all that. Let's talk a little yeah. bit about, about that. Like as the people going through this, if the mm -hmm. person taking prescription drugs takes too many and doesn't stop, and these weren't the case with my friends, my friend, but this is, this is real. This mm -hmm. is part of this cycle that we're all experiencing. Yeah, that's so hard because you're right. It is um, a really fine line about how to deal with that. So let's talk just about like substance use because that's, okay, like, that's kind of an easy one and a common one that people have a lot of questions. Like if I'm concerned about my loved one's drug and alcohol use, how do I make sure they're safe, but also not enable them, right? That's, yes, that's, that's the, the word question. I'm looking You don't want to be an enabler, but you want to be supportive. Yeah. What is the difference between yeah. enabling someone mm -hmm. and and being supportive? Yeah. It, it really, um, it's going to look a little bit different in every family mm -hmm. um, and depending on the circumstances. Um, I do think it is looking for opportunities to um, express your concern about their substance use, uh, not when you're in a crisis situation. No, not <laughs> when they're not when in they're the middle of a intoxicated, journey. right? Not when you're in another argument. It is really coming alongside them to try to express concern, um, to, to say, hey, I've really noticed that the last few times we've been together, you've been drinking a lot more than usual right? Tell me about that, um, right? Or, hey, um, I'd love to get together. Could we do coffee instead of drinks, right? Like really trying to just sort of support them, um, ask questions, and really be non-judgmental. Um, you know, I think oftentimes when people are struggling with uh, drug or alcohol addiction, again, there's a lot of shame. Um, there's probably a lot of like self-loathing. They may be aware of some of the consequences, but it's really difficult to stop, right? Again, repeated exposure to drug and alcohol use changes the way the brain works. So again, it's not choice. That was something yeah. new that I learned yeah. from you. I didn't realize, say that again. Yeah. So repeated drug and alcohol use changes the way the brain works. We see it on um, like brain images. We can literally see changes in the brain. And that's why it's so difficult for people to stop. That's why they can't just make a decision and stop, right, all on their own. Um, oftentimes those brain changes mean they might need medications, um, support groups, and therapy, and family support to be able to make those changes. Okay. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit more about the journey of support. Mm -hmm. I was asking Daria on our team, I said, do you want to celebrate the birthday? Do you want to celebrate mm -hmm. the anniversary of the passing? And when I say celebrate, it's not necessarily mm -hmm. the right word, but you do want to celebrate the life and the mm -hmm. memory so you feel that they're living on. Can we talk a little bit about what that looks like? And again, I guess it's different people mm -hmm. have different ways mm -hmm. of processing, yes. whether it was suicide or even otherwise, mm -hmm. just loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be so dependent on that individual, um, mm -hmm. on their culture, on mm -hmm. their faith, right? Mm -hmm. On their community, like what feels best for them. Um, you know, I've seen lots of people who end up after having this kind of traumatic experience, they mm -hmm. then go on to really become passionate about that cause. Um, they become advocates. They try to sort of do education around whatever it is that happened. But that's not for everybody. Right. For some people, they really are more private. Um, and so I think it's really figuring out those traditions for each individual and each family and each community, like what is going to be the best way for them to move forward as they're healing. But all of that has to do, you know, healing typically happens in connection with other people. Yeah, I think and such a big part of what I've learned about living your most fulfilled life, living the longest life is about true connection mm -hmm. in our lives. Mm -hmm. And how can we create that connections for their survivors mm -hmm. after the loss and how mm -hmm. can we move forward one thing that um laura's niece gabriella mentioned was she said don't say i know what you're going through mm -hmm. by comparing a death by suicide to a grandfather dying of cancer mm -hmm. i get that it's sad and he died but it's very different it is. It is. I think that comparative, I know what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. It's just always so hard. It is. It's actually feel the reason it's hard is it's invalidating, right? Because you're talking about two very different things, right? Yes. Um, and, and really different also in the way that we think about them. We think about cancer as something that was out of that person's control, right? Um, that, that, that they really probably did everything they could mm -hmm. to overcome and, and the cancer still killed them, right? Yes. With suicide, most of the time, um, people have tried. So I think it can be helpful also as we shift our, our thinking um, that with suicide, most of the time people have had, they've tried medications, they've tried treatments, they've tried lifestyle changes all to treat their depression or mental illness, and they still haven't gotten better. And so they've died by suicide. So it is, it is the end of that often debilitating illness, right? Where they end up dying by suicide, but it's still such a different experience for the loved ones, right? And that's why we wouldn't wanna compare them in terms of supporting someone's grief. And then I also want to mention that you're saying died by suicide. Mm -hmm. And I have said lost to suicide mm -hmm. as opposed to committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about just the way we reference it yeah. in conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So really the, the recommendation is to talk about suicide as a public health issue under this idea of somebody died by suicide, right? 
because we know that it is typically a, a chronic, you know, 90% of people that die by suicide have a longstanding mental illness, right? So this is something they've been suffering with for a significant amount of time. And this mm -hmm. is sort of the end of that illness. Um, committed suicide communicates this idea, again, that they had a choice in or some way. It, it was also a crime. Yes. yes. They committed a crime. And that put shame and judgment mm -hmm. all over it, too, mm -hmm. as opposed to love and kindness and support. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes, they were killed by this illness, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She also said, instead of saying, I'm here for you, say, I feel for you mm -hmm. or I hurt for you and your family. Mm -hmm. Um. Let them know it's okay to be sad, mad, and confused and tell them it's okay. I think I've struggled with that too, is um, with the people around me that suffered from depression or any time. I'm, society, social media, everyone wants you to be happy and share your joy. Mm -hmm. So all these people are showing how joyful they are in social media. And there's all this pain mm -hmm. happening behind. So um, that was another one of her suggestions. Don't go on social <laughs> yes. media because it, it makes you feel so isolated that you're different than everyone else when we're all really struggling. But I find that people don't feel comfortable sitting with someone who's sad or mad mm -hmm. or confused or unsettled and they want to fix them. And they want to change them mm -hmm. instead of being there with them in it. Mm -hmm. And Brene Brown, you can see I have all of her books yeah. over here. But I mean, she talks about vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And um, that is one of the things that I feel like my daughter has. Her superpower is because she's been through so much physical and mental pain. Mm -hmm. She's not afraid of being with someone who's going through trauma mm -hmm. and in pain. And we don't, as a society, teach each other how to sit in pain mm -hmm. so we can work through it. Yeah. Let's talk about sitting with it, processing, as opposed to wallowing in it. Like, yeah. let's talk about, mm -hmm. I guess that's part of the grief process too. It is, it is. You know, a, a big part um, of supporting someone, thinking about it the same way you would support a kid, right? It's really that validation right? Um, like this is sort of a simplistic example, but like if my, if my son gets hurt, I'm, you know, one option is to say, get over it. You're fine. Right. If he scrapes his yes. knee, you're fine. Right. That doesn't help him feel seen or heard or understood. Right. Instead I might say, Oh, that looks like it really hurt. Right. I'm going to validate how he's feeling. Then we can get a band aid, and I can say, you're okay now. Right. Um, but it is that simple act of, of exactly what, you know, Laura is talking about saying like, I see you, right? Like I, I feel your pain, right? It is letting that person know, gosh, this must just be so hard what you're going through, right? It's that validation that creates connection, reduces shame and isolation, um, and helps people feel seen and heard. And I think a lot of people are trying to make sense of it mm -hmm. to find a place of where to put it. Mm -hmm. That's the way I describe things mm -hmm. that are floating around in my head. It keeps you up at night. You're like, mm -hmm. I don't have a file cabinet for this. Mm -hmm. I've never been through this. 
I don't know what to do with it. If I get all the facts, then I can figure it out. Yes. And sometimes asking the facts of their survivors, asking too much is just too much. I so agree. let's talk about that. I think it is really important in this type of situation to reflect the family's privacy, uh, yes. like to respect that and allow them to have their privacy. Um, instead, maybe to do exactly what you have done is say, let me educate myself on this. Yes. Let me understand this better. Let me read some articles, right? Um, let me understand why this happens, right? What is the disease process here that ultimately leads to people having this kind of death, right? How can I um, prevent this in other people, right? Looking for other like healthier ways as opposed to really intruding on the family who are, are probably just experiencing a very complicated set of emotions right now. I, um, when I say to someone, my friend committed suicide, they say, I'm so sorry. And then they say, why? Or mm -hmm. did, and I, I think that the why can be I'm not sure, but I've researched and what I've found is some of the warning signs mm -hmm. that we can all look for so we can be there to help each other. Mm -hmm. And um, I would really recommend you look into it. So if someone with you that you care about mm -hmm. is suffering or going through a hard time that you can be there for yeah. them. That was beautiful. That was a beautiful answer. I'm work. I mean, <laughs> literally we're yeah, trying to figure it perfect. out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then create more conversation, mm -hmm. not gossip, not mm -hmm. I need, but how do we change? How do we let everyone know that their life means something mm -hmm. to so many and that there is, mm -hmm. there is hope. And so I think that that's the part, right? Uh, if we think, if we're thinking about suicide as right? Really this neurobiological issue, it's not about letting them know that their life has meaning, right? It's about they're in so much suffering and so much pain um, that, that they can't think about anything else except trying to end that pain. Okay. Right? Does that, um, yes. so it isn't even just about saying you matter, mm -mm. even saying that wouldn't change. Mm -hmm. So you can let go of that pain if you felt like mm -hmm. I'm, I could have said that and maybe it would have changed the mm -hmm. outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. exactly. So it, 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 you know, if you are concerned about somebody, it is um, asking them how they're doing, right? What's going on? How can I help keep you safe? Like really thinking about um, trying to help create some safety. Um, and, and allow them to have those conversations and then thinking about how do I get this person back to some mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Gabriella said was also um, just listen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Don't talk. I have a hard time with yeah. that one. <laughs> I like to talk. It doesn't help to ask why. Mm -hmm. You just have to accept it because there's mm -hmm. no other option. Um, you have to find things to be happy about. Mm -hmm. And um, I do believe that. I think that when there is loss of any kind, that to find other things that bring you joy and to identify it, 
I find that when I'm really down, um, that something makes me feel better, mm -hmm. I name it mm -hmm. and I say, and it, it, of course it could be a handbag or, you know, buying yourself happiness, taking a trip. Everyone says, oh, well, you should take a trip. Oh, you should do, but it could be as simple as just sharing a laugh with somebody like, mm -hmm. um, we were watching the Astros game on Sunday. Um, and we just laughed about these goofy things on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, so just keep trying to be there for those, um, specifically holidays. Mm -hmm. And as time goes on, less people are there. Mm -hmm. So maybe remembering to mm -hmm. keep them yeah. when your life goes on today, everyone's going to be there. They can't possibly yeah. process it all. No, they're probably still right in shock from this experience. Right. Um, and so absolutely thinking about uh, birthdays, anniversaries, holidays. Mm -hmm. And then as a parent, I was saying this when I was young, I don't think my parents ever sat and talked with me about suicide, mm -hmm. but it's something that my daughter and I mm -hmm. talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. um, how, if you're not sure, are there resources about how to talk to your kids? Yeah, there's great stuff out there. You know, and I, that's a, you know, there's so many things that probably we talk with our kids about that our parents did not talk with us about, not just this topic. Yes, we know what that is, but we're not going to say it on this podcast. <laughs> you know, we talk now with our kids about consent, right? Well, yes. Um, we, talk, we talk about a lot of things. In a different way, other mm -hmm. than, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And so I think um, talking about this with your kids is totally appropriate. There are some websites, some resources available um, f for like how to start the conversation. Um, but I think it's with with suicide, uh, with drugs and alcohol, with, you know, mental illness, any of these conversations is... Um, us feeling comfortable, so us doing a little bit of education first so that mm -hmm. we're comfortable having those topics. Teenagers are already talking about these things. They're talking to each other about them, right? Um, so educating ourselves and then feeling comfortable talking about it with them and then bringing it up, saying, you know, do you know anybody that is using drugs and alcohol? Do you know anybody that's had any suicidal thoughts or self-harm behaviors, right? Yes. Just asking about it, like, is that something you feel comfortable talking to me about? Or is there another safe adult in your life that you feel comfortable talking to, the, to about that? Yeah, just putting it out there and maybe putting it out there a couple times before they're ready. Wow. I think we've covered a lot. There's yeah. so much more that we can go into, but I feel like it's such a heavy subject mm -hmm. that we can just take a breath now and know that we're just a little bit better mm -hmm. equipped, maybe not so scared about approaching it. Mm -hmm. And we can do it in a loving, supportive way that isn't about mm -hmm. our healing, but about also the healing of the community. Yes, yes. And I think the schools are doing a lot to support mm -hmm. um, the kids that are there now. The school um, had special chapels for the kids, but I think that if you're listening, um, 
that you can also go to a school because we find that communities are coming mm -hmm. together more now mm -hmm. too on how that support looks like and how you process that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of community healing to be had, right? When mm -hmm. this kind of thing happens. And, and really I think the second goal is preventing it from happening again within the community, right? And that's why talking about it in this way with mm -hmm. education, um, warning signs is so important mm -hmm. because we want to make sure that we don't let it happen again. Yes. All right. Well, thank you yeah. so much. Thank it's you for having really, me. It's, I can breathe a little mm -hmm. bit more now knowing that I'm, I have the tools that we all mean the best, but we don't always know what to do. And I think yeah. we have more tools Absolutely. moving forward. Well, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you guys. Um, Stay tuned for more Living the Authentic Life. Have a great week.